this is Paul. Paul, welcome. Yes, welcome. I, I feel it, it welcome. Is, it, it is the last funny books before Christmas. Well, and we thought we'd make it a joyous one and not invite Tim and Wayne. Yeah, fuck those guys, right? Oof, yeah, bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> yeah, only only people that Santa's going to visit this year have been invited to the podcast. If you're getting, you know, switches and coal, you can't come to the podcast exactly. today. So Krampus so took them what, away last night. That's right. That's right. The uh, the uh, you know Bishop of Turkey, you know, loaded them up in a in a sack and took them away. The Bishop so. of Turkey. That, I have not heard that one. I mean, I remember, you know, each each country has their own sort of, you know, Christmas legends around yeah. Santa or St. Nicholas or something. And it does the former Bishop of Turkey <laughs> <laughs> will come uh, and they collect up the bad kids, stuff them in a sack and take them away. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And it, this was a uh, David Sedaris. Are you familiar with David Sedaris? Yeah. He did a, a piece on all the different holiday legends, and uh, that was one of them. And <laughs> I actually watched uh, Krampus the movie last night. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 a fun movie. It puts me in the yeah. joyous holiday spirit. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, you know, I have uh, I have been engaged in some holiday viewing myself uh, because there's nothing there's nothing that says Christmas more. Than the Star's original series, Spartacus. Oh, more Spartacus. This is Aaron's Spartacus update. I thought we were going to go down the path of some Christmas themed porn or something like that, but no, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're on Spartacus. All right, yeah, continue. Give me, the, give me I the finished, Spartacus update. Oh, I finished season four uh, yesterday, and uh, I got to tell you, you know, I, I, there are certainly some low points in the series, but overall, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I, it was, I thought it was highly entertaining and, and it took me, while it took me a little bit to get used to the new Spartacus, uh, you know, because they, they had to switch actors, uh, midstream. Um, I, I really warmed up to him and, and I, man, totally enjoyed that. Totally enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think overall it's a, it's a good series. I think, uh-huh. um, they didn't overstay their welcome and I don't recall if it was canceled or if it just ended. I, it felt like. Uh, it was an organic ending because, you know, they spend three seasons sort of with the same cast, right? You know, k- kind of around House Bartiatus and and whatnot. And then what had grown out of that, like fighting, uh, uh, you know, uh, Clabber, right? But uh, the last season when it starts getting into, you know, Crassus and Caesar and whatnot, it really guns up for the full on. This is the uh, third slave war. So um, I, I just thought it was really well done. I thought it was well done. I, I, I only have a few uh, complaints about it and spoilers. And I feel like it's safe to spoil it since it's been since it's been out there for a while. Um, I felt like they handled the fall of Crixus really well. Um but I just there, – there is something very unsatisfying that uh, uh, Gannicus, the guy who didn't want to fight this war to begin with, is the guy who winds up crucified when all the other guys fall in battle. You know, all, all the other core guys, Animaeus, Crixus, Spartacus, uh, you know, if you didn't live, you fell in battle, except for Gannicus. You know, who is, you know, the uh, the, uh, you know, champion of Capua, the only the only slave to have won his freedom in the Capua arena. He's the guy who gets crucified. That just doesn't seem right. Um, But but one of my 
one of my big complaints is they crucify Agron, right? And then the next thing you see, Agron's off the cross, you know, and he's, you know, walking back to, uh, to the uh, slave encampment because they've exchanged for slaves. And I'm sorry, once they've hammered nails through your, through your bones, you don't tend to heal up from that, you know, back oh, well, in, I mean, in it, 59 it BC. It happened. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, short of, uh, you know, being resurrected on the third day, Paul, I think that if you ha- if you have had a nail driven through your bones and you hung a few days on a cross, you're pretty much going to die. Well, I, I think mean... I think that that all <laughs> kinds of infections are going to set in, even if they go up there and they, you know, they get a, a pair of pliers and they pull you down. Uh, I think that the infections are such, I mean, you know, for instance, they didn't have tetanus shots back then for Christ's sake. And, uh, you know, you've had an, an iron nail sticking through your body for, you know, two or three days. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Paul, perhaps it was then, more symbolic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, we saw him go up on the cross and uh-huh. then we see him walking back and, uh, <laughs> Maybe his spirit is free. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I, that's my. I, and then he's battle ready. That's what kills me. Is it? Well, yeah, he can't he can't hold a sword. So you know, his boyfriend makes him a uh, a special shield with a sword on it, so he can fight. And I'm just like, okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We we've, we've walked into into the realm of absurd here. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, there there. I, I don't know if you remember the uh, slave Correa. Do you remember uh, her at all? She was Crassus's slave who, you know, abandons him because uh, her son, his son was abusing her. Do you remember her? It rings a bell. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. So she, you know, she and he holds her in high regard, you know, wants to elevate her and whatnot. She flees because his son is abusing her and she can't figure out a way to tell him about what his son is doing. So she flees over to Spartacus and then, you know, uh, for other reasons, winds up coming back. And I'm like, you know, if she doesn't wind up on a cross, I'm going to I'm going to have to call bullshit on this show. And sure enough, the last scene you see, there she is. She's up there. And I'm like, OK, I, I can live with this. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, historically, the Romans crucified over 6000 of Spartacus's army. And that was my only complaint about the show is that they did not give you a sense of of the the numbers of people who were crucified, you know, who fell. Um, and, you know, while I thought, you know, the way Spartacus ended was very satisfying, certainly the way Crixus and Animaeus fell, uh, Animaeus fa- having fallen earlier in the, in the season, uh, I just I thought all of those stories were resolved nicely. But that was one point where I'm just like, you guys really needed to have really driven that home at what price um uh, the the army of Spartacus paid well, but budget because they, they they just really kind of showed you you know four <laughs> <laughs> you know and I'm like eh, it's a little short of six thousand yeah just right? just a few but you, you know I, I you know I've read a lot about about the third Slavic War uh, since uh, you know I started watching the show and you know I, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I, I had been reading a biography of uh, Caesar and so I, I was really impressed that in a number of ways they held to the historic what we know about historic Spartacus and the and the war uh, that while there's a lot documented about the war there's not a lot documented about Spartacus but they really held to a lot of that and uh, I, I thought that was really nice uh, you know you had you had writers such as Jed Whedon working on the show and I thought they did it did a remarkable job particularly in 
making the drama effective with rather uh, formal dialogue, you know, because, you know, obviously they're not going to speak in Latin throughout the show, but they spoke in a very formal sense, you know, almost Shakespearean um, to demonstrate that, you know, this is another culture. And I just I thought it was really well done. I think it could have had less uh, nudity and sex, which is a weird thing for me to say. But, uh, you know, because it, it did seem like that was gratuitous. But I also felt like it was it was to demonstrate how close to humanity the slaves were versus the Romans, because anytime they demonstrated the Romans getting it on, it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? well, I think that was at the time. And I, I think it, it's still a problem that I have with a lot of um, pay TV TV shows yeah. like um, like Spartacus and Game of Thrones and that it's it's just that the they do excessive like sex and violence just for the hell of it. Like there's you know, a certain it, expectation it, for boobs, right? Yeah, like it, it, it and you know don't get me wrong, it, I, I'm far from a, a complainer when it comes to nudity, but at the same time, yeah. like I like my gratuitous nudity when I want my gratuitous nudity, but if I'm trying to watch a serious program. Uh, you know the the gratuitous sex that's explicit because it can be just for the sake of being explicit yeah kind of like they they tended to do in penny dreadful periodically it was you know it's it doesn't serve the story and i think that's when it frustrates me yeah no i agree i think that uh that uh it was it was that was an expectation for pay tv and particularly at a time this was one of stars uh first uh original series right yeah um, so, I mean, they were trying to, you know, get attention and, and make their mark despite the, the over utilization of just really very graphic sex and certainly extremely graphic violence. Right. I mean, well, that was clearly inspired a, by 300, you know, at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, I, this, and I'll, I'll come back to this later on in the show, but I think they really did a, a an excellent job in telling very violent stories because you know it's a war for one you spend a lot of time in the arena and they really just do an excellent job of of demonstrating the brutality of it because that is so much of the story is the the brutal manner in which the romans treated their property their slaves um and and i'll say one one last thing and you know obviously this is this is outside of the realms of reality and, and, and and history but i loved that they were the the you know Spartacus was fighting for freedom and tolerance for everybody, <laughs> you know that you know no one judged you know Agron being gay right uh, there I mean there was there there was uh, there, there was just this open tolerance of of everybody as long as you weren't Roman right you know uh, you know if you were a slave you could live however the hell you wanted to live. And no one was going to judge you for that. And I just love that. I love that, you know, again, also outside of history, the training of the women to fight as warriors, um, you know, where Nevia becomes such a badass in her own accord uh, and Mira as well. You know, she was just she was a badass with a bow. Uh, she was practically, you know, Legolas, <laughs> you know, uh, in season two. But or, I'm sorry, season three. But uh, I thought it was a really good show, and it's probably a show I'll go back and watch again. I was highly entertained. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's you know we don't get a lot of that type of stuff currently on television, so it was uh, I I enjoyed it when it was on. Uh, I know we have Game of Thrones as pretty much our sole fantasy outlet right now, and I don't watch Game of Thrones. Right. But um, you know, well, 
Last thing I'll say about it is that, you know, the entire time I watched it, I kept thinking of that scene in Airplane where, you know, the, the kid's up in the cockpit with the pilots and it's, do you like gladiator movies, Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know, holiday favorite Spartacus seasons one through four. Oh, there you go. You can binge watch it on Christmas Day. That's right. That's right. Uh, I did. I did watch uh, the Sabrina Christmas special last oh, night. Oh, me too. I, I in fact I finished it yesterday. I watched it in two chunks just while like doing cardio at the gym. Um, <laughs> it was okay. You know, it it, it didn't like it, it furthered the story minimally. Yeah, yeah. You know, it the was finale, it, and it was seasonally appropriate. Um, yeah. I I still wince every time I hear praise Satan. Well, Satan, <laughs> Satan bless, you know, just, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I thought it was good. I, I you know, it, it was not, you know, a lot of times when you have that kind of, of Christmas story or something, it'll be out of context or out of continuity. Uh, and this wasn't, this, this told a little bit of before it told a little bit of during and, uh, did further some relationships. It so. did. You know, it's funny because Sabrina was actually probably the least, um, important character in the episode, you know, it, yeah. it rather focused more on the supporting cast, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, and I, if it becomes an annual thing, because I think they renewed Sabrina for another two seasons, uh, wow. I'd be, I'd be all for it. Yeah. I, I dug it. I uh, also dug, you know, I always like it when they do something special on the, on the opening credits. And so they added in the, a holiday image from the Archie comic. Oh, did uh, they? I usually click yeah. skip intro, so. Oh, it was great, you know, because the, the last image they had was Santa going off on his sleigh from the comic book with Sabrina looking on. And I was just like, I, I just love when they do stuff like that. Oh, that's fun. You know, to, to make it a little bit of, a little bit special. Well, speaking of special. and, and Special. And so there are, um, you know, and now I'm, I'm kind of at, I don't want to say at a lull because freaking Discovery and... Uh, the Orville are about to start back up, but those are weekly, right? So it's not like I have to, you know, binge watch anything, um, you know, in a specific time frame. Um, but I do want to try to see if I can catch up on Titans. We talked about this, I think, a couple of episodes ago. Um, yeah. The 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 DC Universe show Titans. Well, the season finale aired, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen it, skip ahead. But uh. So at the apparently with Titans, they recommend watching through the credits because there are things that happen either like a mid credit sequence or an end credit sequence or something like that uh, on the Titans episodes. Well, in the season finale, the end credit sequence sets up the second season of Titans and Aaron, sir, Connor, Kent and Crypto are introduced in the end credit sequence. Of the God Titan damn season you guys, finale. you're going to make me get a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I do want to, and I think the subscriptions are on, on a pretty good sale. I don't know if it's over by now, but I, I yeah, yeah, it's it's coming back. Or, it, you know, they're, they're setting it up for something interesting. And I hear the season finale was actually quite good, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a watch. Oh, huh. Yeah, yeah I, might, I, might, I might have to get in on Well, I did see that, the, that uh, they've... I think they've done they've embedded it onto is it Amazon Fire? Yes, Amazon Fire. The Amazon Fire Stick has an app and they are working on like a PlayStation and Xbox. I think that's what Wayne was waiting on, a PlayStation app, because that's how he yeah. watches his stuff. Well, if I'm wondering if they've got it on the Amazon Fire, if there's an opportunity to subscribe to the channel through uh, Amazon Prime. And so I need to investigate that. Because if there is, I'll do it. Ah, Aaron, yes, we can watch yeah. Titans together. 
times together, right? Well, Young Justice is about to start up too. Yeah. Well, I am looking forward to Young Justice. Well, I do want to see Titans, but there is a dilemma that I'm going through. I have a, I have a moral dilemma, a moral quandary, as it were. Okay. So I saw Aquaman, and we're about to talk about Aquaman here for a little bit. And uh, prior to Aquaman, and I, I knew this film was coming out, but I think it's on Christmas Day. There is a new movie coming out about Sherlock Holmes and oh, Watson. Holmes Watson with... Uh... Uh, those guys with Will Ferrell and John C. Yeah. Riley. Now, yeah. my dilemma is that Sherlock Holmes and Watson are amongst my favorite literary characters. Yeah. However, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are amongst my most hated <laughs> enter- <laughs> entertainers. So I, I, the film does look incredibly bad. Yeah. So I almost feel like I, I'm torn because it's like, well, it's a Sherlock Holmes film, but like I know it's just going to make me mad, so I should just not watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty terrible, to be perfectly honest. And I I don't dislike Will Ferrell, but uh, I don't care for his idiot movies. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is one of his idiot movies. And uh, I'm just, that does not look like fun to me. It really doesn't. But but Paul, when I was at the, the, the theater yesterday to see Aquaman, I saw the Hellboy trailer. Yeah. Hellboy is one of my favorite comics. We almost never talk about it on the show, but it, you know, I buy it in trade, and I, I love Hellboy. I love the BPRD. I loved the first and second movies uh, that they did. This movie looks like ass. It really does, doesn't it? You know, yeah, considering I, they I, rebooted it, and they are like, no, this one's going to be closer to the comics, and you know, we rebooted it because we wanted to do our own thing. And then the trailer came out. I'm like, this looks like shit. Yeah, it looks all kinds of terrible. First of all, I mean, it, it looks, doesn't look it so, so far removed from the other universe that they needed to reboot it. Like uh-huh. visually, it looks relatively similar, but you know, story-wise and and like the the music that goes along with the trailer, I'm like, are we watching a comedy? Like what is this? Yeah, no, it looked just terrible to me. And I was like, I don't think I'm seeing this at the theater. I think this will be a cable movie for me because It looks like one. Yeah, it just looked really bad. And I'm a guy who wants to who wants to like Hellboy. You know, I I, I wasn't like, hey, you know, this isn't my Hellboy. <laughs> I, I I was looking forward to it, but man, it just does not. They either cut a terrible trailer from an otherwise good movie, or those were the best scenes from a very bad film. But regardless, I, I'm not going to be seeing that in theaters. So, I'm bummed so, about it. Actually, yeah, I really I am. Too. I, was, I was really looking forward to given all the announcements and they're going to really try something scarier. It's going to be a scary Hellboy film. There's nothing scary in that trailer. No, no, it just, it just looks, it just looks bad. I mean, I, I don't want to even say it looks silly. It just looks bad. It look, it, you know, it, it's kind of like that Highlander two sort of look about it. You know, I just, ugh. yeah. Ugh. So I'm, I'm I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely bummed about that. How bad that looked because it, you know, again, they, they, they hyped it up and, and, I enjoyed the Guillermo del Toro films and, you know, they're not yeah. perfect. They're not, no. nothing that he does is, Right. but you know, I, I was, I was hopeful that the, the reboot would actually bring something new to it. And it just, it, it looks like it's just bringing a crappy Hellboy movie. Yeah, I agree. I so, agree. Oh, well. it's very sad. Yeah. yeah. There, you know, it's funny because there was another trailer. I don't remember what it was, but there's another movie coming out next year that a trailer came out and I was like, huh, that doesn't look particularly good either. Um, <laughs> like 2019, I know we've got a, a you know we've got other than Star Wars, 
and um, Infinity War, which even then, you know, we or Avengers Endgame, you know, we, we haven't actually seen a trailer for Star Wars yet. It's still too early. Um, right. But the, the two big summer trailers that I've seen, uh, the other one's Men in Black International. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like Men in Black is like a great se- uh, you know, series of movies to begin with. But that new one with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, like basically, um, you know, let's let's take the two lead characters from Thor Ragnarok and throw them in a different movie. Um, <laughs> it also looks pretty bad. Uh-huh. Like twenty it's summer of twenty nineteen, there's nothing there that's grabbing me yet. You know, can can I say that it seems weird that we don't have a Star Wars movie this this Christmas? It does. You know, yeah. it, I'm, 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 you know, we had Han Solo, but I, I almost wish they had waited. But I understand why Disney did it. They've got they had Mary Poppins. But, you know, Mary Poppins has is up against Aquaman and Bumblebee. And out of the three, I think it's I think Aquaman is far is outperforming the other two by by spades right now um, or in spades, I should say right now. Um, but I think Mary Poppins and Bumblebee are at a quite tight race, but it seems like we could have split these movies up a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I just, I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe we don't have something Star Wars this Christmas. You know, it, now I've gotten used to a, a Star Wars movie at Christmas time and a Star Wars movie in the summertime. And it just seems weird. And I think that the next Star Wars film is actual, you know, uh, it's the end of the, the current trilogy, right? Correct. It's episode nine. And I believe it's next next Christmas. Do, I don't think it's do, next May. Do we have another, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars story in the works? Uh, yeah, they, they've got a not a continuation uh, of that story, but they've they supposedly got um, another trilogy in the works unrelated to this. Well, uh, but I mean, like, you know, we, Rogue Rogue One was a Star Wars story. Han Solo was a Star Wars story. Is there is there another one off out there? Um, no, no. After the performance of Han Solo, they put everything on hold. That's um, crazy. But there is the TV show, The Mandalorian, that, right. uh, you know, has John Favreau and a bunch of, you know, very popular directors behind the camera. So, you know, that could you know be... Who'd make, you know who'd make a, an excellent Boba Fett? Who? Manu Bennett. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that guy, you know, they cast him as Deathstroke, and then, like, uh-huh. that didn't happen. On the, on the strength of his performance in Spartacus, right? I mean, yeah. he, he he is... Uh, he, he's got the crazy eyes, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he's got this, this, this gigantic, you know, expression. Um, I don't know where, to, what his backstory is. Uh, I think he's a New Zealand actor, but I don't know what he did before Spartacus, but yeah, I don't he, know. he's, he's very over the top in his performance. And I, you know, I, I think that, you know, uh, when you take the helmet off Boba Fett, I think that guy should be over the top. And he was played very mutedly, uh, in, in the prequels, but, or his father was, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I think that that would be, I think somebody a big, big, big performance, big scope. And obviously somebody who's just ripped and cut, uh, like Manu Bennett would be terrific in that kind of role. I don't disagree. Yeah. Cause you know, I've got Manu Bennett on, on the mind. Uh, yeah. I also think I was, you know, I was, I was sharing unrelated with my to wife. Spartacus. I'm sure. Yeah. Unre- unrelated to Spartacus, but, uh, you know, I was sharing with my wife, you know, we name all of our dogs after family members. Right. So we've got, you know, uh, Walter, Trudy, Elmer and, uh, Alice, our new dog. But I was like, you know, I've often wanted, you know, thought about naming dogs after characters in the Godfather, like the sons in the Godfather, like, you know, you'd have, you'd have, you know, uh, Sonny, you'd have Michael, 
you'd have Alfredo who broke my heart and my adopted dog, Tom Hagen. (laughs) (laughs) But after watching Spartacus, I want to have, you know, Spartacus, Gannicus, Animaeus and Crixus, right? And if you had a fifth dog, you know, he'd be the bad dog. You can Asher. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, I think it's time to talk about the Aquaman. To talk about the Aquaman, the man of Aqua, Fishman. Um, <laughs> so finally, Aquaman is here, continuing the DC EU. Loosely, I mean, other than a brief reference to the battle with Steppenwolf, there's pretty much no reference to the larger DC universe. There's no passing reference to Metropolis or Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman or anybody. Yeah, I felt like that was a mistake, by the way. I do, too. I Um, felt like there there should have been a post-credit scene at a minimum mm -hmm. with him and... And somebody from the Justice League, be it Flash or Cyborg. I mean, you could have gotten one of the, you know, guys who who can use the work, <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I thought that was a mistake to not have a post-credit scene that tied into the larger DCEU. I agree. Even if it was, they continue, you know, they so, gosh, we're, we're going straight into spoiler territory. So, spoiler warnings on. Um, you know, there's a mid-credit sequence where we see two villainous characters get together um and it seems like that was a missed opportunity to continue the 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 legion of doom that they started yes you know why not just have freaking deathstroke and lex Luthor like knock on the door like well when i when i saw the boat pull up you know you see that you see the boat uh rescue uh black manta yeah way way big spoilers rescue black manta from the sea (laughs) i'm like is that my first thought? Cause you just see the bow of it come in. And I'm like, Oh, is that Lex Luthor's yacht? And no, it's somebody else. That's the, that's a huge mistake. I agree. And that's I understand they're trying gap. to distance themselves from that, but they're really not right. They're doing a suicide squad too. They got James Gunn. Like, I feel like you, you they need to shit or get off the pot as it, as it, you know, as it relates to these DCEU um, things, either commit and like form the universe or whatever, but like you set up this cool Legion of Doom idea that people actually like. Like it seems like this would have been a perfect opportunity to. I mean, literally, you could have had yeah. Jesse Eisenberg knock on the door and show up. Yeah. Like that's all you needed. Yeah, no, completely agree. I and I was disappointed that it wound up going a different direction. Yeah. So I. So that you know, we start off with the negative, um, but I, I do want to say like that that is a huge missed opportunity as it relates to this movie. There is not. Other than, again, a brief reference to the battle against Steppenwolf, there is literally no reference to any other DCEU. Nothing on a television, nothing on a newspaper, nothing right. anywhere. And it just seems, uh, like I said, a, a big missed opportunity to to help you know keep that universe fresh in people's minds. Unless you're going to straight up drop it, which you're not because you've got Wonder Woman coming out. Like, it, it feels like they should have just you know thrown something in there for the fans. Yeah. But anyway... Aquaman, Aaron. Uh, I, I, I don't recall if you were... Well, I mean, you saw it opening day, so I have to imagine you were relatively looking forward to it. I really like Jason Momoa, and I, uh, re- I I really appreciated his performance in Justice League. I, I think that he was one of the things that really worked in that movie. Um, I thought he he his charm is great and big. 
Um, he, you know, he really got to, uh, perform in this film and hold a movie together. Um, I, I, I feel like he did an awesome job in this movie. I really did. I think that, uh, uh, should I just go into it, Paul? Is yeah, let's do it. Me to do? let's do it. Okay. Um, I do not think this is a good movie. Um, <laughs> there are things I really enjoyed about it. For instance, it is a visually spectacular film. Um, the, the scenes in Atlantis are gorgeous. Um, but I, the movie really struggles, I think with what it's trying to do and what it's trying to be. Um, the, the soundtrack is all over the place from pop music to classical music to, uh, something that I would call new age music. Cause it just sounded like it was, it was made by, uh, Vangelis yeah. or Andreas Wollenweider. Um, I, I was stunned by it because I mean, every time that they were, they were in, uh, Atlantis, which seems like a, a starry science fiction sort of city, it went into this, you know, uh, soundtrack that was more appropriate to Blade Runner than it was to the superhero movie we're watching. And don't get me wrong. Superhero movies can be a lot of different things, but none of the music tied together. Right. So while I get a kick out of the Pitbull riff on uh, Toto's Africa, it doesn't work in the movie. I mean, it is such a a crazy leap in in score. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is it is crazy. I, I don't understand why uh, the movie there is a, a great big scene that takes place in the Sahara. Right. And so you would think that two people who live underwater would experience some sort of effect in being in such an arid, dry environment for a prolonged period of time. That is never addressed. They're just okay wherever they go. Yeah, they're just okay. I, I, th- I thought that was weird. Um, I thought, you know, she, you know, while she only draws a drop of moisture from from uh, Aquaman at one point, um, I would have liked to have seen the removal of moisture affect him. You know, because. You would think that that would have an impact on his abilities because, you know, he is he is fish guy. Um, Despite the fact that Jason Momoa is so charismatic in this movie, there is very little in the film that is joyous. In fact, I think the best scene in the entire movie happens far too early and doesn't happen again. And that's the scene where he's having a beer with his dad. Yeah. And you've got the biker gang behind him that you think is going to come up and give him shit for for being, you know, a a a a a, a, a you know, fish man. <laughs> and uh it turns out that they they wanted to get a selfie with him. I thought that was the high point of the film, Paul. I thought that moment, that moment more than anything was was the the bright shining joy that we enjoyed so much in Wonder Woman. That really doesn't tr- have happen in this movie. Not to say that this movie is is dark and tone deaf like Batman versus Superman, but it is it de- there isn't enough of of you know just these happy moments. And this is the last thing I'll say before I, before I turn it over to you. This movie failed in what I think most Aquaman comics fail to do, and that is to make me give a damn about Atlantis. At no point in the movie, you know, the whole gist of this movie is that Arthur is the orphan king and he's got to come back and take over the rule of Atlantis from his piece of shit half brother. Right. And 
in order to make me feel like these people are worthwhile, I need to get to know them beyond Mira and Volko. Um, I need to know who the people are in Atlantis. I need to have that moment where he is rescuing an Atlantean, where an Atlantean is appreciative of what he's doing. Whereas what we saw, and this will, that ties back to my original comments about Spartacus, we see an arena fight where all the Atlanteans are cheering for his death, you know, where they're cheering for his defeat at the hands of Orm. We don't. We never see a moment where the Atlanteans are like, "This guy's. This guy's a good guy. This guy is something we've not seen before." I'm behind him. It's not until he defeats Orm at the end of the movie that people are like, "Okay, well, I guess he's our king now." I don't see anywhere in this film where, other than Mira, Atlanteans are worth a damn, and why I should care about them, despite the fact they've got a beautiful city and they've got really kind of you know wicked looking mo- sea monsters and whatnot. Um, there is nothing there that that tells me that Atlanteans are worth saving. And if they're going to be allow themselves to be ruled by someone as despicable as Orm, why do I care about them? Kind of like America. If you're going to be ruled by someone as despicable as Donald Trump, why do I care about you? <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> going, to, going political. <laughs> you're going to crowdfund a wall around Atlantis. <laughs> you got to build that wall, Paul. you got to have a sea wall. <laughs> Uh, so let me just say, I I had a number of issues with this film that I'm about to get into. Overall, I will say I enjoyed it. I actually probably will see it again, probably not in theaters, but I, I did find enough enjoyable uh, in the film, particularly Jason Momoa's performance. Uh, I thought he was great. He was, I great. He was great. And honestly, yeah. I thought Miro was great. In fact, I thought most of the acting was was fine. Like I thought... I thought Volko was poorly cast. I gotta say, God damn it! Like Willem Dafoe is Volko. Come on! I really hoped he was gonna die, you know, so that you I know, wouldn't see him in a sequel. Because God, he's so creepy. You know who would have made a great Volko? Who? And I can't remember his name. Man who done he, it? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, well, absolutely. Uh, no, but uh, the guy from uh, Wallace. Wallace. God, I can't remember his last name. Um, he is. Uh, he played in. The Princess Bride, you know, he did the inconceivable. Oh, yeah, that guy. Wallace is something Wallace. I know you're talking uh, it, about. Yeah, he would have been great as Volko. You need a character actor for Volko. Yeah. You need somebody who is not, you know, the, the, Volko in the comics has got a big round belly, right? And he's got goofy hair off the side of his head. Um, they, the, I don't know why you ca- why they cast Willem Dafoe. As Volko, it made no sense to me whatsoever. And Willem Dafoe's just creepy. Like, he's just so creepy looking. Like, there's nothing... Like, you look at him and you're like, oh, he's a horrible person. And he's not in this movie. <laughs> but, you know, you don't cast Willem Dafoe to be the good guy. Right. But anyway, you know, it... Um, you know, I, I... So Volko was obviously miscast. Other than that, I thought the casting was fine. I thought it was a little odd that Patrick Wilson, who's six years older than Jason Momoa in real life, played Jason Momoa's younger brother in the movie... Um, but you know, I guess they, they, they prettied him up to make him look younger. I don't know. I, uh, I thought Jason Momoa was great as Aquaman. I did. And I got to say, as soon as he put on the classic Aquaman costume, he, dude looked fantastic as he Aquaman. He looked like an Aquaman. Yeah. And it's Wallace Shawn, by the way. Wallace Shawn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jason Momoa visually represented Aquaman once he put on that suit. Much like... Mm-hmm. Honestly, much like Henry Cavill, looks like he's torn straight from the comic pages. And to a certain extent, much like Ben Affleck, looks like he's mm-hmm. torn from The Dark Knight Returns. Um, you know, the, these guys, pu- 
you know, do do these intense training regiments, and they look like like they are torn from the comic page. Yeah. Um. So no complaints as far as that. I will say the film is overlong. It is two and a half. It is yes. like two hours and twenty three minutes, and uh, there's too much in it. Well, and there's you know we spend a lot of time, and again back to my original point, we spend a lot of time touring the Seven Kingdoms, right? You know, there, there is an element of Indiana Jones and, the, and, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark where we're going all these different places because, you know, we're, we're searching for the thing. And then there's all these fights happening in all these different places, which is reminiscent of Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, we got I forget which kingdom it is, but, you know, it's the it's you are in this kingdom. My like, God, we still have another kingdom to go through and find. And, and then the real fight starts. Like, oh, thank God. We don't have we don't have to yeah. do this whole thing again. This movie can just be over. <laughs> and I sound really negative about the movie. But to, to, as you said originally, Paul, I'm going to watch this movie again. I'm going to own this movie on Blu-ray. Yeah, I love because I like Jason Momoa that much. I enjoyed his performance that much. And I'm I'm looking forward to whatever deleted scenes that, that we get to see, because it is a long movie. But, you know, there is a lot on the floor yeah. that they didn't include about an hour and a half in. It hit me like, holy shit, there's another hour to this film. Like, because mm-hmm. it felt like it was longer. Um, you know, because there's just, it, it is such a meaty film. And I don't mean meaty as in, like, there's a lot to digest. I mean meaty as in, it is just, like, jam-fucking-packed with stuff that it doesn't need to be. Um, you know, and to your point about, I'm going to hop on the, um, but let's talk about, first of all, let me talk about the music. Musically, this film is terrible. Um, yes. The score sucks. They introduce pop music, you know, like modern and classical. Well, not classical, but what you would consider like classic rock, like new wave and stuff like that right. from the 80s. There's like, a, a you know, all this, the, these, these various music choices. And I, you know, like in a superhero film, just give me freaking score. Yeah. You know, if you want to throw in your pop song, throw it in during the credits. But there are, but every time they injected a pop song, especially the Pitbull Africa song. Uh huh. It's just so jarring. I'm like, what? what? It is. It doesn't. It, you know. And again, I, I enjoy the 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 Pitbull Africa song amuses me. Ocean to Ocean is the name of the song. Okay. It amuses me. I, I. It is something that I will listen to. You know, in one of my mixes, but it doesn't work in the context of the movie. You know, no. it would. You'd have been better off hearing that on somebody's radio. You know, versus it being you know uh, piped in. You know, into the the world of the movie. Music shouldn't distract. Music should, you know, enforce the feeling that you want to feel in the movie. And the music distracted in certain parts here. I agree. Yeah. And it's well. And I was I was always very aware of the change. Yeah. Right. Like so. Like you would we'd go in. Like I said, the the Andreas Vollenweider sort of music. And I'm like. What the hell? Why did all this become Tron? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, is this Daft Punk? You know, <laughs> I mean, and and that was and that <clears throat> that's something I want to mention. You know, because that's something that I think that came up in the the sequence in Rome or not in Sicily uh, is when they started yeah. like toying with that. For a film with one director and one composer, it certainly felt like there were four or five different directors and composers. It feels like each sequence of this movie was was filmed by a different director because there are so many different feels you've got the underwater elements which are very star warsian and then you've got like they go you know they they go to the desert and they go to sicily and that's very um indiana jones and then you've got like the sequence with the trench which is probably one of my favorite sequences in the film because i love the trenches characters but that has its own unique feel and then you've got like the stuff at the beginning the submarine and like there's all these different feels like it feels like different 
almost different episodes of a TV show directed by different directors. Even yep. though it's one guy, it's James Wan, who is a who is a who is he is a technically proficient director. He has directed great movies. Um, however, you know, in this film, it just feels like I, I don't. <clears throat> You mentioned the sequence with, you know, the selfies at the beginning. I thought that was great. I think the film had hum- humorous one-liners, but I think the film had no heart. And that's ultimately yeah, my, my problem yeah. with with Aquaman. I, I agree. I mean, you know, there is throughout Wonder Woman, the film, uh, there is a sense of joy. There is a sense of heart, you know. And while I think Jason Momoa is doing every goddamn thing he can, you know, to make this movie work. Because he's he is just performing his guts out in this movie, um, he the, it's there, it's not on the page, and it's certainly not not on on screen because you know the director hasn't hasn't made the camera see that, and I, I think that's the problem with this movie is that they just you know let's make it a little bit like Indiana Jones, let's make it a little bit like you know uh, you know Phantom Menace, let's make it a little bit like this, let's make it a little bit like that instead of like let's make Aquaman, you know. For for all the the problems, and and I think I'm the sole person on the podcast who loves Batman versus Superman. But for all the problems with that film, I don't, and I hope no one would would disagree with me. But you know, you never know. You can tell that everyone put their heart into it. Now the yeah. the end product is debatable as to the quality of it, but at the same time, like you can tell, freaking Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Zack Snyder, this was a joint vision that they were all passionate about. Agreed. Aquaman feels like everyone collected a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and, well, and everyone that, but Jason Momoa. I, I do feel yeah, like I think Jason he's passionate Momoa. about the character. I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But everyone else just feels like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing the role that I was hired to play. I'm directing the film I was hired to direct. You know, like there's no yeah. real like sense of, you know, and to a certain extent, some of the Marvel movies can be that way. But you can feel the energy in a Marvel project yeah. where the directors are passionate about what they're doing, like the Winter Soldier or, or something like that. You know, to a certain extent, Avengers is where you, you know, the the, um, the Avengers, Avengers feels like the paycheck movie. I agree. I um, agree. And I, and I think that that is demonstrated this year. Right. I mean, uh, Black Panther is the largest grossing film of 2018. Exactly. Right. It's a passionate movie. It, it is. I mean, folks who worked on that movie were, were, were making a movie they were in love with, right? And the folks who were making Avengers, I think certainly some of those people were, 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 you know, were, were making a passion project, but it was the, well, let's cash this check. Yeah, you know? it was guys uh, who were hired to complete a story that they didn't start, right? Right, right. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of what Aquaman is. You know, these are people yeah. who were hired to 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 do the next part of a story that they weren't necessarily interested in or involved in to begin with. And I think it shows. Um, there there are certainly enjoyable elements to the film. Visually, uh, you know, it's uneven, but where it works, it's stunning. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I gotta say, I feel like Aquaman... They could have literally, with minor tweaks, of course, adapted the Trench storyline, Jeff John's Trench storyline, on a cheaper budget, and it would have yeah. been a better movie. Well, um, I don't think that, every, you know, they needed to go this, they they didn't need to throw everything in. And that's what they felt, they felt like they tried to do. Let's throw everything good about Aquaman in this one movie, because this is literally everything good about Aquaman. Right. Um, and it, it doesn't leave much for a sequel. Well, and, you know, we didn't get to meet anybody who would later become part of his supporting cast. 
You didn't get to meet Aqualad. You didn't get to meet Dolphin. You know, any of those characters who really round out, you know, and yeah, that's something you can do in, in, in the second movie, but there's no hint of it, right? There's nothing. There's nothing there uh, to to really demonstrate that he's part of a larger world under the sea. And that's my objection. There is nothing about Atlantis that makes me interested in it. Yeah. I don't you know, it's just it's just pretty. Yeah. And it is pretty, but you know, it's yeah. pretty in a um you know, under the sea world from uh, Star Wars the Phantom Menace yeah. kind of way, you know? I mean, yeah, and, yeah, and that absolutely. it's it is technically a marvel, but at the same time like to your point, like the Atlanteans, frankly, they're kind of dicks. Like there's nothing yeah, right. really interesting about them as characters. They feel like Romans. They feel like Romans, you know, yeah. that, you know, they, they, they're only interested in, in bread and circuses. And I, I just, I'm like, okay, you guys are despicable. Why do I care about you? Yeah. So, so. you know, I, it, I, I will say, I feel it is a film worth seeing and it is a film worth seeing on the big screen because of, of the, the, it is pretty. Yeah, the, the you know the the visual elements of uh-huh. it, but it is it's a dumb movie. It's a dumb yeah. movie, yeah. Um, and and it, it feels it and it feels long. And you know I I am sorry to say that because I was I had high hopes for it, particularly yeah. because of Jason Momoa. Because almost everyone in this film, this is the biggest movie of their careers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 in fact, it probably everyone in this film, um, you know, certainly Amber Heard has never had a film this big. Willem Dafoe, other than, yeah, Willem Dafoe had Spider-Man. Um, well, and he, he had, uh, you know, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Yeah, oh, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh. It's a big movie. It's, it's a, a big, big movie, movie, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Patrick Wilson has certainly had huge hits with the Conjuring movies and, uh, Insidious. Um, but the, you know, d- Budget wise, I think this is probably the biggest. I did think Patrick Wilson was miscast in this movie as well. I thought he did a good job, but I think he was just too old for the role. Yeah, I just. (laughs) (laughs) But so Aquaman, it sounds like we're we're right in the the realm of mediocre. Um, Yeah, I think that I think you combine our our reviews. If I was going to give it a grade, I would call it about a C, C minus. Honestly, I'd line it up with Justice League. As far as quality and uh, content, I think I, I like Justice League better. Wow! Yeah, I, it, it was a half hour shorter, so there's that. <laughs> uh, so uh, as we wrap up, I do want to say next week being the week of Christmas, and also a fifth week, there's really not much coming out in your comic stores. X Force number one, which I probably will pick up. Um, you know, it, it brings back the classic X Force team. Um, with some added elements uh, like Death, um, Deathlock. Uh, I, I might pick up that first issue, but pretty slow week in the comic stores. Uh, so we may not record. We'll see. We'll see. It's touch and go. But, you know, there, there, there's not a lot out in the comic shops, you know, as far as new stuff. But, man, Comixology has got some hella sales running through the first of the year. So, you know, if you're a digital comics reader or you're looking for an opportunity to get into digital comics, this is your time with sales, you know, 75, 80% off of uh, some of your favorite comics over there for DC and Marvel, as well as the other publishers. Dynamite's got their sale going on. IDW's got a sale going on. I think uh, Dark Horse, if they haven't had their sale start yet, they will soon. Lots of cool stuff out there available, so check them out. I have already spent a ridiculous amount of money in buying uh, some some collections that I've, that I've wanted, so uh, yikes. Nice. 
Uh, also on the feed, if you haven't checked it out yet, be sure and check out the uh, first three parts of our four-part Ghosts of Rainsboro second season. Uh, part four will come out shortly after the first of the year, so very exciting. Um, it is a, a, a tale that must be told. And it's awesome. It's quite good. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not holiday, but, you know, it, it's certainly worth, uh, worth checking out. It's awesome. I dig it. You'll dig it. And before we wrap up, I do want to say, um, just, uh, we, you know, as, as we near the holidays, um, I'm looking at some of my, my birthday guests because my birthday was a couple days ago. And, uh, I think we've talked on the show before about the, the DC primal age action figures. Have we talked about those before? I don't recall that we've spoken about that. So, um, Funko, you know, they're known for their Funko Pops, but they also have a line of action figures um, that are, I think they're called like Savage Earth or Savage World or something like that. And they're reimagined, like characters reimagined using the old Masters of the Universe style of, um, you know, body type and, and you know, that articulation, uh, the, the box art, that kind of thing. And so DC Primal Age reimagines the DC Universe as these Masters of the Universe um, characters. So they're all like, you know, like, they look like He-Man and, and, and She-Ra, but they're the DC characters. So they have a line of, of DC Primal Age action figures, and I got a couple of them for, for my birthday, and and they're actually producing a comic book written by Marv Wolfman uh, coming out next year. Um, but they're a lot of fun. If, if you're looking for, for late Christmas ideas, Amazon Prime can probably get them to you in time for Christmas. They are available on Amazon right now, DC Primal Age. They even have the DC Primal Age equivalent of a Castle Grayskull um, the available. So it's, it, it's a lot of fun. I love it. And I, I'm looking forward to the comic when that comes out next year. And we'll talk more about our, our, our hopes and dreams of 2019 uh, when we do the funnies here in a couple weeks. Woohoo. All right. All so, right. well, hey. Well, Merry Christmas, Paul. And a Merry Christmas to you. And, you know, for those of our uh, Satan worshiping uh, followers, happy solstice. Yes. <laughs> Satan bless. Uh huh. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.